You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Now turn with me to Ecclesiastes. We'll be in the last chapter, chapter 12, and we'll read it all. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. And almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the corrected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated, if you haven't already seated yourselves already. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm one of the parish elders. I'm also on staff with Trinity. Uh, I have the opportunity of preaching this morning while Brian is out, and we'll be wrapping up Ecclesiastes. So let me pray for that time, and we can also pray for the apartment next door, um, hoping that that fire alarm It's not a bigger issue for anyone, and it won't be a distraction for us. So Lord, uh, we come before your word this morning, asking that you would remind us of the gift of our vain lives, that you would point us to um, the means by which you've broken into the world through your son, that we'd see how you're redeeming all things through your Son, through your church, through your Spirit in the world. pray all this in your holy name, Lord. Amen. Okay, so we have been taking a look at Ecclesiastes for the summer. And throughout this look, we have had... um, 
We've been seeing that there is a life in which we cannot shepherd. There, is, there are things that are out of our control. And Solomon, he began this book with words on the evil of things and the vanity of things. So you'd think that by the end of the book, he might get somewhere else. He might get to a word of purpose and of hope. And there is purpose in it, but, but it's different than we might think because he actually does end back in the vanity, back in saying that there is still evil under the sun. We have not been able to shepherd the wind. So the beauty of our lives, we've seen throughout Ecclesiastes that it's often consumed by evil, that as our lives go to the dust, we don't know where our own wealth, who our own wealth will go to. We don't know how the next generation will handle things, whether they'll be good or evil. And we haven't been able to soften the hard edges of our own lives. The circumstances that come at us that, we, that, are, that are immense suffering. The righteous have been persecuted. Evil men have not been dealt their justice. And the curtains to Solomon's work are about to close. So what does he do as this word is about to close? He reminds us of something in particular here that the heavens, they're not opaque. That we can actually see God in our lives. We can see God in our lives under the sun. And that our vain lives have always been intended to be bound to him as our God. So may today's words for every son, for every image bearer, be ones that aren't consumed in regret of our vain lives, in bitterness, in not being able to control things and being confused by that, but actually finding delight finding hope amidst our lives that will one day turn to dust. So in this last pass over vanity, listen closely to Solomon's words, to the words of our spiritual father. Beauty will one day be be the one to consume darkness. Things will reverse. Where it feels like darkness always consumes the beauty, that will change. God is a redemptive God, even when we cannot see it. And we end at how this and how all the Ecclesiastes, it actually draws us to be more present in our lives and not less present. Even though they will one day, our lives will one day turn to dust. So what are those, what are those things that we can take out of Ecclesiastes 12 in particular? I have three things for you this morning, and we'll move through them promptly here. First, God calls us to live as his creatures. There's wisdom in remembering your own mortality. Second, we're to submit to him as the one shepherd of all things. He's not a distant God. And last, we're to cling to him 
as the one to whom all must answer in the last analysis. Before the judgment seat of God, every good and evil deed, every secret thing will be dealt with. So first, stay with me. I know the beeping. It's at least getting to me. Hopefully it's not getting to you. Um, But he calls us first to live as his creatures. So youth, youth in this room, this word is particularly meant for you. Weigh these words this morning. A youth, um, you know, is, is there a difference between a youth who is ignorant and one who is aware of the things that Solomon is about to say? That's the question. Um, is Solomon here just poo-pooing on a youth's parade? And I'd say there's actually great insight for a youth in remembering that the shape of a mountain doesn't come in a day, the health of a tree doesn't happen in a day, it takes time. So if you remember your creator throughout your life, that will look different than if you didn't remember him until the evil days come. So Solomon, in verses 1 through 8, if you've, opened your, if you've closed your Bibles, please open them back to Ecclesiastes 12. He gives us poetic language here that fixates on a body that's facing evil days. And those evil days being the latter ones. Ones in which a person's body begins to break down. One in which a house begins to come into disorder. So look, I'm just going to roll through verses, uh, verses 2 through 7 here to dissect what Solomon is saying here. So first, in verse 2, he's talking about the luminaries, the light, the moon, the stars being darkened. Second, he's talking about clouds, um, clouds that return after the rain. Life goes on to the next generation. And then you see in verses 3 and following, The decay of a house. The house turns to disorder. Its keepers tremble. Strong men are bent. That's likely referring even to to a man's knees growing bent. Strong men that once might have been found every day at the gym lose all their muscle mass. The body loses its muscle. Grinders cease because they are few. Whether that's referring to uh, grinders grinding wheat at the threshing floor or um, equally likely that could be referring to teeth. There being few teeth that are left in one's mouth. Then at the end of verse 3, those who look through the windows are dimmed. One's eyes grow dim. You're not able to see as much. The doors on the street are shut. It's hard to keep your eyes open in old age. The sound of the grinding is low. It takes a long time to eat. And you rise even at the sound of a bird. Light sleepers. Insomnia setting in. And then verse 5. They're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. 
In our day, this is multiplied by having lots of technology, fast cars. If you're driving on the road and someone goes by you with road rage, there's terror in that you could get hit. If you fall, say you slip on ice or just on your back porch, um, in your youth, that may have been a mere setback, but now, in old age, what that becomes is something to your own destruction, the destruction of your own flesh. Just a few more here. The almond tree blossoms. Your hair goes gray. The grasshopper drags itself along. Your feet move slowly. Can't go as quickly anymore. Desire fails. Sexual desire fails. If you lived for sexual fulfillment, it would be rather depressing to discover that your own body can no longer fulfill such things. And then... Solomon speaks much more plainly in that end of verse 5. Because because man is going to his eternal home. So he speaks plainly there. And then he speaks in verse 6 of a lamp, of a pitcher, and of a wheel. And all these, this silver cord and golden bowl, it's part of uh, what would have been in ancient Israel, a lamp. It shatters, can no longer serve the beautiful purposes that it had. And a pitcher can no longer hold possessions. It can no longer serve its purpose at a fountain. And a wheel broken at a cistern, this likely would have been a pulley wheel, uh, to pull vessels out of a well so that you could get your water. It no longer can hold anything. All of this, all of this is, is going not just, um, it's going for a feeling. Solomon is trying to, to draw the youth to have actual feelings about, oh, my body will, will one day face this. So what does that feel like? When we're absorbed by the vanity of our own lives, that goes with the grain of the world, but Solomon is drawing you to remember that there is a creator to which you're purposed and to which you will return. So remember that before the evil days come. Remember that before old age comes because that will have a difficulty of its own. So remember that today, youths. Do you fear God? Is your life one that actually on a stage, it looks that way? Or are you living for a false narrative of personal autonomy? Is the theme of your story you being a creature who is one who has gratitude toward your creator? Or is it one that hates your creator? If you revere your creator you won't feel the need to do what our culture does. Our culture pushes old age into the corners. So I don't want to think about that or, or let's have um, infomercials of all the ways that we can prevent that from fully coming into existence in your own old age. But don't do that. Don't push it, push it into, the old age, into the corners of your life 
consider the inevitability that you will either die young or that you will die old and laugh. How do you laugh? Honor your grandparents and honor your parents in their old age. That is a prime way in which we are able to embrace that that is where our lives will one day go. And remember that those same days are coming for you. How might that cause you to live differently? How might that cause you to not live as if there is an opaque ceiling between you and God? But actually a a transparent one in which you intend to live everything under him, to live everything for him. The enjoyment of the gifts God has given you will one day expire. And there are many temptations for living our lives without our creator in mind. So what is it that shapes your life most today? As you consider just that series of poetic verses on life decaying, what shapes you? Have you considered that those who are honor that there are those in this world who are honorable creatures and there are others who are dishonorable creatures? Don't waste your life. See the vanity with precision and find wisdom to enjoy your vain days for they are fleeting. And let's say you have a very mundane testimony, youth. Count that as a gift. As one that actually, if if your parents are equipping you for a life to fear God and follow his commandments, that is an immense gift. It's sufficient. So would you go to your creator and refuge in your youth? Okay, that's part one. We've talked about how we are to remember our creator, but we aren't deists. We aren't people who just see God as someone who is far off, but that he's actually very near to us. And so we turn to part two, looking at this text, to see that this kind of creator is not far off. No, look with me at verse 11. They are given by one shepherd. There are words of the wise that are like goads and nails firmly fixed. The collected sayings given by one shepherd. So we're to submit to him, to this one shepherd as the one who shepherds all things. Take a case study of Solomon himself. You see this in verses 9 and 10. A little biography statement from the preacher, Solomon. An autobiographical moment in which Solomon says that he sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Solomon was a wise and a happy man. We see that in verse Kings 10. And that's curious, um, because he messed a lot of things up. His own life in in his youth, he did some evil things as a king over Israel. So because 
He was a king who made grave mistakes. Why is it that we, why is it that we should look to him as one who follows a shepherd? God actually used his own pursuit of vanity, his own chasing after the wind to teach us something. And this is how God always works. He uses our lives, he uses our own mistakes to show us wisdom. To use them almost like goads, which we'll return to in a moment here. God did in Solomon's life what he always does. He has steadfast love for his sheep and he does not let them go astray, even if they have to go through immense pain. So he used the evils of Solomon's life for the good of the world, for giving us a book like Ecclesiastes to say, find words of wisdom. Words of wisdom that teach us to delight in reality as it is. So amidst the crookedness of Solomon's life and his having had enough humility to learn from a shepherd, to, to humble himself and be in submission to him, he came to know his creator as the one shepherd of all things. So this morning, would you reflect with me? Have, have the words of Ecclesiastes actually taught you to grow in faith? Faith for life under the sun. Have they brought you to cling to his promises? Not just in spite of what happens in reality, but because of it. Have you learned that message from the preacher? Have you seen God's eternal providence in lives that look really crooked at times? In lives that often see evil flourishing and good going to dust. When it all seems to be in disorder, there is one who holds all that order in his hands and who is actually doing good. The shepherd over all of it is patient with you. And he's patient with me. Look, um, sorry, I'm going to just briefly quote from Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's so much that's uncertain in your life and in mine, um, but here is what we have in common. There is a shepherd, and he, he providentially works all things. And he even uses a rod and a staff at times for you, to guide you in the way you should go, to guide your vain lives. So would you count that as a gracious gift this morning? Would you, um, in verse 11, see the words of the wise being like goads? Would you see that as a gift over your life? If you don't remember what goads are, it's something a shepherd would hold has a little pokey stick on the end, tell the sheep where not to go, guiding them in the, the way that the shepherd wanted them to go. So at times, God uses goads 
He uses rods. He uses his staff. Do you trust his inspired words when you read them? Do you actually desire to go to that word in the morning, every morning as a word that can be wisdom to you, that can guide you in the way you should go, that can, can actually be called to mind when you fall on your knees in your life, when circumstances hit you hard. He's given you words of wisdom to navigate life under the sun. So that, that refers both to, um, I think, the wisdom literature of Scripture, Solomon's referring to here, but also refers to all of Scripture, um, as they are all words that God has given to us for wisdom in this vain life. Can you imagine if God didn't give us such correction, if he wasn't kind enough to give us words of wisdom by which to lead our lives? That's... It's not worth actually imagining because that's not what God is like. God rebukes us out of love at times. And he gives us words that are like balm to us in times of suffering. So for those of you that don't consider what is fixed, you're going to be eternally frustrated. Would you actually consider that there are things in this book, in Scripture, that can help you learn how to live life under the sun well, that can actually give you enjoyment in it. Not to know things that are uncertain, but to know what is certain in your own life. That's, that's possible. Solomon describes that here, and he delighted in his own life, and so can we. Submit yourselves to the shepherd. Take great comfort in that that is how the reality works for life under this sun. Okay, so we first looked at how in um, our youth we're to remember our creator. We looked at how there is a shepherd who is over all of our lives. And now we're going to spend some time in the end of things. And the telos. And I think this is actually, uh, Lord willing, we're going to be able to summarize Ecclesiastes well here. But there is an end point. There is somewhere that Solomon wants to take us. So in verses 13 to 14, I'm going to first read this. And then we'll talk about it. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So God, even amidst the evil and vanity of this world, he wields eternal purposes. And he has a duty for man. And he will be the judge of all the world. One thing that strikes me throughout this whole chapter is that um, every one of these aspects of who God is, him as creator, him as shepherd, him as judge, it's all over those who were, ever since Genesis 1, 
We were intended to be his image bearers. You know, that, that phrase can be greatly misused in our day. Say, well, everyone's just made in the image of God, so we should give them dignity. Um, which is, <laughs> it's true that we were originally made that way, um, but we've royally messed things up. And every one of us has borne the image and we've distorted it. We've lived in sin. We've done evil in our own ways. So we go into this last section, the end, wondering, okay, what, what is a good and righteous God to do if he's, if he's good and he's just? What is he to do for image bearers who are living a vain life under the sun, to whom they will go to dust, to whom, in verse 7, their spirit will return to the God who gave it. What is this God to do? That's where we're going. There is still evil and there's still vanity, um, but this shepherd, he's one to whom all of us must answer in the last analysis. He's given you one duty for life under the sun, and that is to fear God and to keep his commands. Have you remembered to make this duty all of your, the center of all of your days? Or have you lived, again, as if the heavens are opaque? As if your life is mostly about just what feels right for you in the moment, about what what seems nice today or trying to suppress that which is not so nice. The heart of the problem has never been about whether we can control the wind. It's never been about controlling the vanity and trying to make much of it. The problem, whether we die young or whether we die old, has been about us all turning to our own way. In Adam, we are all unable to fulfill our duty. We've all sinned. And not one of us has done it. In our lives under the sun, none of us have lived with remembrance for our creator. So what must that creator and judge do? For the shepherd of all things to be just, he must bring every deed into judgment. The 60 million babies that have been murdered in our country. He must bring evil into judgment. Sex trafficking that runs rampant in our world today will one day be brought into judgment. Secret things will all one day be brought into judgment. Quote a song, it's gone viral this week, those north of Richmond will one day meet judgment. Meet judgment. Those who use their power and their purposes they set out to do with all their lives will one day meet the judge in the last analysis. What are the humble who have recognized that their life is but dust? That they need redemption by the God of heaven? 
there's, um, there's a kind of preacher in our world today that would say we just need to point everyone to heaven. We just need to talk more about how beauty is going to swallow all of this up. Heaven will simply come down to us if we, if we do enough of the right polit- um, social activism, political activism. Heaven will simply come to us. But they, they preach as if the evil of this world and the evil of their own hearts has not done great dishonor to God. They haven't dealt with that. And they're lying to people about it. Every secret thing will not be forgotten before God. For a life that's purpose before its creator, this will not do. The modern church attempting to, to even just look at life as a mindfulness exercise. If I can just think more about God. If I can just be resting in him more. If I can just not be as anxious, then maybe life will be better. It, those are all byproducts of life that's hidden in Christ. But it's not, it's not what gets us there. To just think more mindfully. It does not resolve the final judgment. So what does? What does reconcile us to God? 2,000 years ago, the Son of God took on flesh. And for what purpose did he do this? He, he did this to reconcile those created to bear his image to himself. Isaiah 53 describes how he does this. And I'm just going to read a couple different verses from this. First starting in verse 4. But he, referring to the Christ, the Messiah... He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Going forward a little further, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This is what we need to preach to the world. That every secret thing will one day have to be met before the cross, whether that is now or whether that is in the last analysis. Again, to reference what we uh, read in the New Testament reading this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49 says, Just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Our bodies, they all go back to the dust, and our spirits all go back to God. At the cross of Jesus Christ, the evil of the whole world has to be dealt with in every single deed. And either we will be counted before God as men of dust or as those who are in the man of heaven, in Christ. By the body and blood of the Lamb, a future 
has been promised. So is your life hidden in Christ? John Owen makes a plea with us this morning in being faced with that reality of judgment coming. He says, this is somewhat of the word which he now speaks unto you. Why will ye die? Why will ye perish? Why will ye not have compassion on your own souls? Can your hearts endure or can can your hands be strong in the day of wrath that is approaching? Look unto me and be saved. Come unto me and I will ease you of all your sins, sorrows, fears, burdens, and give rest unto your souls. Come, I entreat you, lay aside all procrastinations, all delays. Put me off no more. Eternity lies at the door. Do not so hate me that you would rather perish than accept deliverance by me. So our death will happen in one of two places. It will either happen in casting your sin and your shame upon the God-man on the cross. It will happen on a tree Or it will happen in the last analysis when your spirit returns to God. Church, would you die before you die? Non-Christian, die before you die. Know that Jesus Christ is the only means by which life under the sun can be reconciled. By which your spirit can be reconciled to God. The cross makes a way for us to have rest for our own souls. And we, um, we see this as the pinnacle of beauty. We see this as the pinnacle of where Ecclesiastes is taking us. That where darkness has always seemed to just repeatedly cycle in consuming beauty, consuming what we, what we see as the gifts of our own life, fly. Um, It will turn, and it has turned. In history, the cross has consumed the darkness. It has consumed the darkness that discourages you. Maybe even today. The darkness that has oppressed you, that has left you with bad dreams throughout your night. Maybe there's been an abuse of power in your own story and you've been oppressed. Maybe it's your own flesh just repeatedly struggling with the same sin patterns. All of this has been dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ. So, do you go to that cross gaining confidence that that beauty looks different than how you bore the image before you knew Christ. That beauty is actually living by dying. It's actually living by laying your life down before Jesus and saying, "He He is the man that I will live in. That is where we all must go. So in closing... The most important question, the most important question answered, your life of dust, it can be transformed into something 
in which our own vain lives can be enjoyed. It can actually be a gift. In your vain life, if you boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, he will fill your cup. We are eternal souls, and he, even starting now, fills our cup to where we can enjoy these gifts and relish in them because there is a man in heaven who represents us, who represents us before the Father when we reach that seat of judgment. So, a few points of application. Would you delight like Solomon delights? Would all of your days reflect that delight? How Brian's shared with us throughout the summer, all the different gifts that we get to enjoy, may you delight in them and take pleasure in the days of your youth, take pleasure in the days of your old age. For we're under a creator. We serve him in this. Second, would you fervently practice receiving his words as words of wisdom for you? Would they actually be words that teach you to go along with how the world is made? To not kick against the goads, but to delight in how reality is. To delight in that there's a wise way in which you can encounter the evil and the vanity. Third, It doesn't, Ecclesiastes should be a book that's taught us to press more into our lives and not to just escape from them. And, and one of those ways in which we should do that is we should lament. We should actually lament of the evil of our own days. Whether it's in your days or in the following generation, or in the final judgment, God actually promises to deal with evil. Um, A beautiful picture of this, again, I I referenced it earlier, but uh, there's a song by Oliver Anthony that came out this week. You can find it on YouTube, called uh, Richmond, North Richmond. Uh, Great song. Um, But one that, that truly does reflect lamenting over the evil of our own days. Now, it does not have to end there, but there is a place for lament. It ends in Christ because we we, we have faith that he actually answers those things, that he is dealing with those things now, and that he will deal with those things, but it should also cause us to lament. Fourth point of application, uh, this has personally been one of the greatest takeaways for me from Ecclesiastes, is that we should not live Lives of defeatism or escapism. Um, In your work as a dad or as a mom, as a husband or as a wife, as a worker, as an employer, all of it is something we can be endlessly optimistic in. It's all something we can endlessly persist in working hard in because God is redeeming all things through us. He's, he's actually giving um, new purpose to our work. And having died before we die makes us eternally hopeful. The setbacks of our own lives, they're, um, 
the pain of our own bodies. It's not the last word. But God is making all things new in our world here and now. And then last point of application. All of this should, and what Ecclesiastes has to offer, it should make the church the first place of hospitality to the world. The church, you and I, should be the place of joy and hope for our neighbors. When, when there is, when people taste the dust in their own mouths, where can they find joy and hope? God has actually purposed that his church would be the, a place, a, a light, a lamp to those people. And so would you take heart that that is simply who we are in being in Christ? So in closing, we see with the preacher, with Solomon, wisdom. Have you caught the wisdom? Has it changed how you live this summer? Do you live according to the beauty of what God has fixed? Submit yourselves to him, church. Follow all that he says, that we may enjoy all of our vain days. Let's pray.